Amen. Well, good morning, church family. Again, uh, it's good to see everyone here. And I'm so thankful for what we are allowed to be a part of as Christ is moving in this congregation. I want to thank you, many of you, for your love for Christ and how you have committed to serve him. And, and what a blessing to be a part of that. Uh, tonight, I want to remind you as well that... Uh, Pretty much this is a day of prayer, I guess we could say. We're praying for the MCs. Uh, we're going to be praying for our president, our country, in a little bit. But tonight at 7.30, we'll be meeting at Krause Elementary School uh, to pray over that campus, to go into the halls, and to just uh, begin. We want to begin this summer of ministry with prayer. What a great way to do that. And so we want to commit to that tonight. If you're available at 7.30, please be a part of that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to pray, uh, pray to God. So let's stand in honor of God's word. We're going back to verse 1. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read for context sake verse 1. We'll read all the way to verse 11 today. And again, remembering that God is moving in a specific direction. He invites us to move with him on this journey of life as we await uh, his return, the return of Christ. So let's begin with verse 1. Chapter 4, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, and all this... They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So before Christ, we lived a certain way. We meet Christ, now we live a new way in accordance to his word and his will. And yes, the world may persecute you because that behavior seems strange to them. It is a tension that we talked about last week, even to the point where some have been judged in the flesh, they were martyred and died. Yet we live on in the spirit. So verse seven, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So then in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are desperate for you right now. Each and every one of us, Lord, we struggle. We struggle with our flesh. We struggle with sin. We struggle with, Lord, how to be obedient to you and live out this life, our faith in Christ the Lord, Lord the, the world presents many enticing things. The world would distract us and deceive us in our flesh into believing that there's something better, there's something more other than the presence of God. 
So Lord, right now in this place, I ask that Lord, you would be free to express the freedom that we can have in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from the power of sin over us in our lives. For Lord, you came to destroy the works of the devil and he is at work even now in this place trying to distract us from the life that we're called to in Christ. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would exalt the name of Christ. I pray that you'd reveal to us the type of life and the kind of life and the life that we're to live in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not be deceived. I pray that our eyes would be opened, our ears would be able to hear what the Spirit of God is saying through the Word of God. Now, Lord, even now with the, the different group of people from the first service to the second service and what happened in between, Lord, there, there's still a working, there's still a movement of God. The Spirit is at work convicting us and preparing our hearts for what we are to hear. Lord, we love you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the freedom that we can have in Christ as we yield to the word of God and we become obedient. We can see victory come forth in our lives. Now, Lord, may you help us. Help us now, we pray, to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we're walking through this text, I wanna, I'm going to remind you again, as we started last week, God is moving in one direction. God is moving in one direction, and he invites us to walk with him, to journey with him. As we talked about last week um, in different ways, we talked about how sometimes we get distracted. We think about our lives in such a way where we, uh, if we want to keep that same metaphor, that highway of life, that one direction God is moving, there are things in our personal lives that cause us to want to exit, if you will, or detour, go a different direction than the direction God is moving. And so we wake up one day and we find ourselves dealing with things in our personal lives that God never asked us to be a part of. He never asked us to do. We just, just on our own said, God, I'm going to take a time out from the direction you're headed, and I want to get focused on these things. And is it any wonder that we find chaos growing in our personal lives? Is it any wonder that we see distraction? Is it any wonder that we see hurt and pain and difficulty because we've taken a moment uh, to step away from the direction God's going? And we just think, I got this. I got this. I can handle this. And when we wake up one day and we go, God, where are you? And if we were to be clear with Scripture and what God says, the direction to would be like he would say, you know what? I never asked you to go do that. I'm heading this direction. Do you want to come and join me again? And how do I know God's moving in this one direction? Well, when we looked at Scripture, we see that in the text, as we've been walking through 1 Peter, God brings us this point of salvation where we meet Christ and thereafter everything is about representing Christ while we wait for the return of Christ. God is moving in that direction. The story of redemption, go from Genesis to Revelation, God is just unveiling that story of redemption. He's moving to that point, that time of the return of Christ. And so when we get into the text in verse 7 for this week, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. What is Peter talking about? The end of all things is near. Some would say or argue that Peter's talking about his personal life. It's about 63 AD when he's writing this first letter. Uh, and about three years later, he writes 2 Peter. Um, it's also in this time where he and Paul are about to be martyred. We know that Nero, the emperor, uh, the Roman emperor uh, dies in, I think, 68 AD. 
And then in 70 AD, you have the fall of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is totally destroyed and wiped out as predicted by Jesus. So is Peter talking about his personal life? He's talking about those things. Um, when you look at the context of 1 Peter, 1 Peter, Peter's talking about the story of redemption. He's talking about this history that God is unfolding. If you were to really want to be specific, it would be his dash or hyphen story, his story of redemption. And so when you look at all things, the end of all things is near, it's, what Peter is really saying is that all the major events in the story of God's redemption have occurred. All of the major events, everything is ready for Christ's return. Typically what we do is we look at history. We look back in relation to kings and kingdoms, how they rise up and remain and then fall. And we look at history through that lens, the, the perspective of mankind and his abilities. But biblically, as Christians and believers, we need to look at history in relation to his story of redemption. And so this drama that's unfolded, this drama of redemption, all of the previous acts necessary uh, have, been, uh, have occurred. They've been completed. What kind of events? Okay, well, just briefly, we've got the creation where God created man, Adam and Eve, men and women. He created man and woman. He created the universe. Then we have in Genesis the fall of man where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They were expelled from the garden. We have uh, the calling of Abraham where God said, Abraham, through you I will bless the nations of the earth. Through Abraham we see a nation being birthed and the Messiah would come through his lineage. Uh, then we see the exodus uh, from Egypt, where the Israel nation comes forth out of Egyptian bondage. We see the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. We see Israel's exile because they disobeyed God, their exile into Babylon, and then their return to Jerusalem. We see the birth of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. We then see the sending of the Holy Spirit to establish and grow his church. By the way, all of these things have been predicted. All of these things have been foretold in Scripture. And this God who desires to know us or us to know him, he's revealed himself in Scripture, and he said in advance how the story of redemption would unfold in advance so that he would demonstrate his incredible will and power. He is an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, an ever-present God, all-present. This is a God who was outside of time, stepped into time to deal with humanity. It tells us in advance, and it all comes to fruition. And so everything, everything has been positioned. All the major events have occurred. And at the time of Peter's writing this letter to the Jewish believers scattered abroad, Guess what? The church has been growing for about 30 plus years. And Peter says that biblically, everything is ready for the return of Christ. And so if that is true, if you really believe Scripture to be true, what Peter would say is that out of that belief, then we should live a certain way. Remember the issue that Peter is dealing in, with in this letter. I hope you get this after all of our time in 1 Peter. Peter is saying to these Jewish believers and Gentiles who are mixed into the worship uh, congregation, he's saying to them, submit to Gentile authority. Remember that. All of these different authority figures in your lives, you're to submit to them. However, do not submit to their belief 
and behavior. The belief and behavior of the born-again Christian is to get in line with God's Word. Remember in chapter 2, where the Word of God is to be ever-present in our lives. The Word of God is building up the body of Christ. The Word of God is fashioning the temple of Christ. That is the body of believers. And so the Spirit of Christ dwells in us and through us. And he's saying through the Word of God, he's growing us, building us up. Okay? And so out of that, uh, if you are a part of that, your belief, your behavior is to line up with this word, okay? So when we get to this text in verse 7, the end of all things is near. What Peter would say if he were here today speaking to us, he'd say, church, the same thing applies to you. Champion fellowship, uh, people in this congregation, do you understand? Do you really believe that Christ could return at any moment? If you say yes, and you're getting in line with the text, then you should be very quick to become aware that I need to be living in a certain way. And he says this in verse 7, that because of our belief, we should be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purposes of prayer. When he says sound judgment, he's really just saying to have a right mind, a right way of thinking in relation to the Scripture, the Word of God, and our relation to Christ in living out this uh, story of redemption. That when I look at my life, when I look at all of the circumstances, all that I'm walking through, all of my relationships, I need to view them through the lens of Scripture, and I need to have right thinking. I need to I need to move out. As I move towards this time of prayer throughout the day and the way I live my life, I need to view it in light of God's Word, okay? I need right thinking. I need mature and correct thinking. I need to live right according to biblical understanding and how my circumstances relate to my life. And so when we're going to have right thinking, then what has Peter already said about what you're experiencing in life? He says that God is using all of these things to refine your faith, to mature your faith, to complete your faith. Remember in chapter 1, as he, he talked about this great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, he says that God is guarding it by his power. and It awaits us in heaven at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns. We shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We shall become like Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. So theologically, as we appropriate faith, saving faith in Christ, theologically, we are now in right standing with a holy God because of the blood of Christ. Amen? We got that? You're right. Okay. So we are in Christ. We are theologically right with God. However, there is an issue with the way I live out my faith. I'm still struggling with the power of sin in my everyday life. I still struggle with this old flesh. And so I need to be rescued, not only from the penalty of my sin, but the power of sin. And the Word of God says that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Christ came that as we put faith in Christ, we have the Spirit of Christ through the Word of Christ reigning. It can, he can reign in our lives to where we have strength to overcome the power of sin. Every day we struggle with the oppression of sin in our flesh. How do I know that? Well, instead of waiting to the end of the sermon, I'll go ahead and say it now. Your pastor woke up with a, an ungodly 80s song in my head. It was this, I think it was this song from ACDC, I'm going to walk all over you. That's what I woke up to today. Are you kidding me? Where did that come from? Well, it came from my flesh. 
It came from years ago, living a certain way. And it, it also comes from me still venturing out into 80s music every so often. I'm just being transparent. I, I'm, I'm just, we struggle with our flesh daily. My greatest need is to be rescued from this oppression of sin. Paul struggled with it. He said, the things that I should do, I don't do. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. Paul struggled with it. Peter struggled with it. All the apostles struggled. People struggle with it. I need to be rescued from me. And so when I look at sound judgment, I need to have right thinking about my identity in Christ. I'm saved. I know I'm secure in Christ. But I also know that I'm going to struggle with this flesh and this sinful life. Amen? So I need to be rescued. So Lord, how do I get rescued? I'm seeing my life in the lens of Scripture where, where Christ is saying that he is able to give his strength, his power. And the Word of God, again, as Peter writes the letter, he's dealing with that. And he says, I've got to come to obedience to the Word of Christ. Amen? Okay. And so when I move into prayer, I need to have a right understanding of God's grace. I need to have an understanding that the blood of Christ covers all of my sins, but I'm still struggling with this flesh. So I'm, there's a certain part of this prayer that I need to be aware of, and we're going to get to that in a minute. The second thing he says is not only sound judgment, but I'm to be sober, that I'm to have a sober spirit. I'm to have a spiritual awareness of what's going on in my life. And so to be uh, sober of spirit, there's a spiritual alertness that, that I need to have so that I don't fall to temptation, okay? That I don't fall to temptation. I'm not letting my mind wander into mental intoxication, if you will. Uh, the, the opposite of being sober is to be drunk. And Paul addresses this, and Peter addresses this, that spiritually, I need to have a mental awareness. I need to guard against this mental laziness that can creep in and can lull me as a believer into sin through carelessness. I need to, this mental awareness, this spiritual awareness, I need to understand that there's an enemy who desires to destroy the witness of Christ in my life. I'm ultimately called to be an image bearer. Uh, I said last week, to, if you want to simplify your life in Christ, the first, the first part of it is meeting Christ. God moving through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the gospel, moving to a place where I meet Christ. Thereafter, in a nutshell, it's just about representing Christ in the world that I live in. That I'm representing his love and his character each and every day. And so I need to be aware, this sober the soberness of spirit, this mental awareness, the spiritual awareness, all of this combined is that I understand there's an enemy who wants to destroy the witness of Christ. And I, this soberness allows me to resist the devil and the love for the world. That's what wants to creep in. The, the, the devil wants to uh, get us off track, uh, lull us to sleep, if you will. Uh, don't worry. You know, it's like they're going to, they're going to church thing. Uh, you need a break. You know, don't worry about that. Man, you're under grace. You know, just you got some things to do. Don't worry about meeting with the believers and on and on and on. And we just say, you know what? This battle that I'm in, it's exhausting. It's tiring. I, this constant struggle with my flesh. Oh, God, can I just have a break from the spiritual battle? Peter would say no. He'd say no. Don't get back on your loss. Don't get, don't get back and relaxed. 
It's when we get back and relaxed and get lazy, the enemy starts laying his snares and his traps. He wants to lull you to sleep. And so how, how do I know this? This world creeps in and the, the enemy is trying to lay these traps and snares. Well, we know it's a spiritual battle. And Mark chapter 4, verse 19, that, that parable of the seed being sown, where he mentions the one sown among the thorns. But the worries, I want you to identify the things uh, that can choke out the word. The worries of the world, I can check that one off. The deceitfulness of riches, hey, I, I, want, I want to move after wealth, then I've got security, right? That makes sense. We can fall into that. Um, and the desires for other things outside of Christ. Maybe if it's a special relationship. Uh, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These things distract us from the number one need in our life, and that is Christ and his victory in my personal life. Colossians 3, we walk through that. Verses 2 and 3, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with whom? Christ in God. Uh, Galatians 2.20, we've referenced this. It's no longer I who live, but who? Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, so I need to set my mind on things above. I'm hidden with Christ. The Apostle John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, uh, John would say to the church, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Who's at work behind the scenes in the world? Satan, the devil. The same, same thing that Eve succumbed to in the garden. That lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, lust of the flesh. He says, the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So brothers and sisters, when we... As we're moving into prayer, we're moving into this life that God has called us to through Christ Jesus, we need to have sound judgment, right thinking, biblical thinking, our identity in Christ and life we live, we need to have right thinking. As we move into that time of prayer, also be a, have a sober spirit. We need to be alert what's going on and what the enemy would move us towards. We need to consider the, the dangers of these things that may be inherently good in and of themselves, but if they are if they're not stewarded to the glory of Christ and for the kingdom of God, they can become very dangerous. What are some of those things? And these are things that uh, we may find ourselves. We may look up one day and go, oh, yeah, I, I, I've moved right into that. I didn't realize that. Well, how about your careers? When not, when not uh, stewarded for the kingdom of God, they can then consume time and energy to the point where your family loses. They're on the losing end because... That, that career has just consumed so much of you. Your time in possessions, what you have or have not, as opposed to who you are. Your possessions can uh, become dangerous in that pursuit of them. Recreation can bring about a shallow life. Reputation, that pride of life, who you are, as opposed to who you belong to, Christ uh, friendships, they can become self-centered cliques that are self-serving. How about scholarship, that pursuit of education, um, loving what you know versus how to love who you know. When we pursue that knowledge, uh, that scholarship, sometimes we can fall into that. How about authority, 
that grab for power and prestige. In and of themselves, these things are good when stewarded for the kingdom of God. But when we get off track, when we get self-centered and focused on self, they can become very dangerous. And so those are things that we're all involved in, right? When you look at your personal life, all of those things, you, you engage in these things. And so what is it about this that would protect us? How might we uh, keep from falling into those dangerous situations that would pull us away from being Christ-like and living for him? Well, he moves into verse 7, this after sound judgment and sober spirit for what? In, in the New American Standard, it says uh, the purpose of prayer, but really that word prayer is plural in the original language. The ESV and the NRSV get, translation gets it right. It is, they would say, for the sake of your prayers. So as we're going through the day, we need to be prayerful all throughout the day about something specific. What would that something specific be? Well, it would be that we would not fall to temptation. You see, when I have a right understanding, when I'm in right thinking, biblical thinking about my life, and I am sober and alert about the battle I am in to protect the witness of Christ, uh, it, it guides me into the content of my prayer so that it enables me to pray intelligently. Yeah, I, I did say that. I need to be intelligent in my praying. I need to have a right understanding what Scripture speaks of in my life of Christ, and so that I can bring that into the prayer time, okay, into the content of my prayers. Uh, it also enables me to pray effectively and appropriately. So I want intelligent prayers, effective prayers, and appropriate prayers. All of that comes out of a right understanding of God's Word and the light that He's called me to, all right? And so if we are going to look at the content of this prayer, sound judgment, sober spirit, for the sake of your prayers, what's that content need to look like? What do you mean, fall to temptation? What, so, so how might this prayer, what might it look like? How do I engage in that? So I thought as we're walking through this, I thought, well, who other than Jesus Christ to look at? Let's go to, go to Luke chapter 22 for a moment. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to uh, 46. Let's look at Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And, and so we keep it in the context of 1 Peter. What is going on in Peter? He's saying that when you believe and behave according to Scripture, the world may get upset with you. In fact, you may experience persecution and suffering so much to the point where you look up one day and say, God, where are you? But where was God in the night in which Jesus suffered, was betrayed, and he was getting ready to go to the cross. Luke chapter 22. And it says, the scripture says, now again, let me, let me remind you, this is the one who did not deserve death. He didn't do anything wrong. We also need to remember that he did everything right. So not only did he not do anything wrong, but he got it right. And he's an example of the righteousness of God on display and so scripture says that, and he came out, again, the night in which he was betrayed, he, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom. Jesus is a man of prayer. Uh, whenever he was in Jerusalem, what was his custom? To go and pray where? To the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. Verse 40, when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into what? Temptation. 
I'm going to go back to one of our greatest struggles is the need to be saved from our oppression of sin. Our flesh wants to step forward all the time and be satisfied and pleased. When you find yourself in that situation of trial, James would say this, that in this refining of our faith, uh, God knows, he sees, he hears, he, rem- he understands all of what is going on in your life. And James would say, and Peter would say, in that moment, you you have a decision to make. Will I glorify Christ with a decision and how to live it out, walk through this? Will I demonstrate sacrificial mercy and the character of Christ, or will I fall to temptation? That's the two choices right there. In all of life, every circumstance, every trial, will I represent Christ or will I fall to temptation? Can you imagine what would happen if we as a church came together for prayer that we would not fall into temptation? Do we want us to come to temptation, to sin? Imagine what could happen out of that. He says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, not able, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is getting ready to demonstrate the magnitude of this emotional, personal struggle that he's going through on his way to the cross as being fully man and fully God. His main concern is the will of the Father, not how he feels, not remove the persecution, not remove the suffering, don't remove the... He says, Father, number one, here's what I'm concerned about, your will. He wants to be obedient. And so he says, uh, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. You remember that Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread? We need the bread. We need Christ to fulfill his kingdom coming here on earth. The strength comes from him. Here, Christ is getting ready to go to the cross. He needs to be strengthened. God the Father sends an angel from heaven who, to strengthen him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. His capillaries in his skin. He's under so much stress and tension about what he's getting ready to go through. Uh, it's a medical term where these capillaries begin to burst in his skin, and blood literally comes forth like sweat. Rather intense time, wouldn't you say? Yet, Jesus is not praying. The most important thing is get me out of this. He acknowledges how great the experience will be, how difficult it will be. But his primary concern is not my will, but your will be done. He goes on in the narrative. Here's what we see. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. These disciples, Jesus had told them that one of them would betray him. He also uh, told them that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, to be crucified, die, be buried, and rise again. He would be resurrected. They knew in advance. They were sorrowful to the point uh, they fell asleep. How many times in your sorrow does it just exhaust you when you're walking through a situation? And he said to them, wake up, basically. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into what? Temptation. 
You see what's happening here? You see what the Word of God is saying to us? Our primary concern is that we're walking through a difficult season. They're, they're coming, the circumstances. But what God would have us to understand that the life in Christ is not the removal of the circumstance. God sees the circumstance. He's going to walk you through it. The Word of God says he uses that to refine and mature your faith so that you can become more like Christ and be an image bearer. The issue, the struggle that we have is that we, in that moment, don't succumb to temptation. But here's how we typically pray. If I'm right with God, if I'm good with God, he's going to bless me on this side of heaven. Many times it's financial that we're looking for, it's health that we're looking for, it's possessions we're looking for. We want the good life. But in that moment, for Christ, as he's suffering and desiring to follow through with the will of the Father, where was the Father? Same pl- When we ask God, where are you? Where are you, God? He's in the same place today that he was when his son was going to the cross, on his throne, following through with his will. When you are walking through difficult times, God is more interested with his will and him being glorified than you feeling good. He wants holiness produced in you. He knows that the outcome he is looking for is better for you. Now think about it. If if God approached suffering the way we do, Jesus would have never gone to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, and now through Christ's sacrifice, we have forgiveness of sin. Now, we're not going to atone for the sins of the world. Jesus took care of that. But our suffering, our pain, our trials, the maturing of our faith, what is it doing? Perfecting Christ in us, that we'll be image bearers, and that other people will have the opportunity to see Christ in you and me. Christ is on display in the world that we live in. And we benefit from our faith growing and being matured. Are you seeing what Scripture is doing here? So when I am walking through life, I need sound judgment, sober spirit, for the purposes of my prayer, that I am aware as I move into prayer, God, please, give me what I need that I don't fall to temptation. Because each and every day, each and every day, my greatest struggle is my sin or the sin of someone else. Go back to the garden. If you can't figure that one out, Adam and Eve, the world is cursed. You see the destruction of the earth and it falling apart uh, as a result of sin, Adam and Eve. You see also uh, alienation. You, well, disease and decay. The body keeps on. Every one of us is going to die. Every one of our bodies are on that trajectory, right? And you can't stop it. Uh, when it comes to personal relationships, alienation, betrayal, wickedness, evil, it's on display. God has an answer for each one of them. For the world and the curse, a new heaven or new earth. For the body decaying and dying and disease and all that stuff, it's called the resurrection. For alienation, wickedness, evil coming forth from the heart in our relationships, what is the answer to that? Life in Christ. Us laying our lives down, being more like Christ, so that the love of Christ can come forth in our relationships and body of Christ. Do you see how God's moving us? Do you see what the Word of God is doing in us and through us? that we're, not, we're getting our eyes off of the persecution. We're becoming more and more like Christ in that we are seeking the Father's will and not our feel good. Don't let your pain. Remember last week we said we do everything we can to avoid pain, the fear of pain. We want to walk away. We want to sidestep pain. It looks like to me 
God embraced pain through his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be saved. I said, as, as people, we avoid pain at all costs and move towards pleasure. Typically, that's how our prayers work. We pray in such a way to avoid pain in the world and move towards pleasure. How many times have you prayed in the middle of struggle, Lord, get me out? You know, it's amazing. We cry out when we struggle. But how about when things are going good? Do we cry out for the righteousness of Christ? Do we cry out, God, forgive me for my sin? When we, I, I know I'm going long, but I, I, I'm just going to have to go here. Exodus chapter 2. Because I want you to see the beginning and the end of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, 24 and 25. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. God hears their, their groanings begin in bondage in Egypt. He hears their groanings. He remembers his covenant. He sees what they're walking through. He took notice of them. He knows what they're walking through. That's how Exodus begins. Do you know how Exodus ends? It ends with the tabernacle. What they needed was an atonement for sin. They needed to know the law and the character of God. And so what does he establish in Exodus? Here is the way that you get close to my presence, the sacrifice. And so at the end of Exodus, what you see in scripture is this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the where the tabernacle, uh, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It goes on to say that through their whole journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. The presence of God. They begin with their groanings, they end with the presence of God. What we need to understand, we're going to see this in days to come, in 1 Peter. He's saying the one who struggles, who cries out to God in the midst of the struggle, the presence of God, the glory of God falls on the believer, manifests himself in the life of the believer, and the believer is able to continue on by faith in Christ, and the presence of Christ shows up in the life of the believer. Through Christ, this is able to be seen. So I need to be moving towards the presence. I get there through prayer and the word. Amen. Okay, I know that's a lot there. We got the one verse down. Um, we're going to continue on. I need you to understand, though, as your pastor, I need you to understand it is about fulfilling the will of God and not your happiness, not pleasing your flesh, but being obedient. God's calling us to obedience. That the presence, James said, let your joy be turned to, or your laughter be turned to mourning. What he was talking about is we need to be a people that are concerned about our sin. Have a repentant heart. Say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me, oh God. And as Jesus said to the disciples, when he rose up from prayer, he went to them, he said, wake up. I think he'd say the same thing to us. Wake up. Get over the sorrow. Pray that we don't fall to temptation because God's got some great things to do. The atonement, the cross, the resurrection, when you say that's a good thing, when you say it's a great thing that you might enjoy the presence of God, let me tell you something. Wake up that we don't fall to temptation because God's on the move and we want to be a part of it. Amen? Now let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together. What a full day, Lord, worshiping, praying, uh, being a part of who you are and what you're doing. Lord, thank you for the life that you've called us to. And now as we sing this song, may it be a declaration of our faith in Christ, 
May it be us as a people declaring who we know and the life that we're called to. May we step forward in repentance of heart if we are being disobedient. Lord, may we not grow weary in doing good. May we not become lazy spiritually. May we have sound judgment and be spiritually alert and sober as to the battle that we're in. May we be prepared to go forth and say yes to Jesus, representing Christ in this world and not falling prey to temptation. Lord, deliver us from evil. Oh, God, we thank you that we have life in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come forward for prayer if you need it. Uh, if you want to meet Christ as your Savior, uh, turn to each other and pray if you need to. The person you came with probably knows you better than me. Who better 